Hi everyone, it's Melanie back again on the Irish Tech News podcast and today I'm delighted to announce I have Matthew Tillman. Nice to have you here, you're the Chief um, Commercial Officer for Satellogic and that's a relatively new position I believe. Well thank you very much Melanie, I appreciate uh, the invitation to be here to talk about uh, Satellogic and to uh, get to have a chat with you. Yeah, a relatively new position. Um, I think maybe about 18, uh, 18 hours old. But, uh, 18 hours old. Oh, my goodness. Something, something like that. Something like that. But, uh, you know, a title is just a title, right? It's, uh, it's, more, it's more about just getting up every day and, and doing the job you've been asked to do, right? Yeah, you were doing it already. You just didn't exactly. have the right name. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I think it works well for everyone. Then. <laughs> so tell us who Satellogic is and where are you based? Sure. So I, I am I am now recently moved with my family to beautiful uh, Barcelona, which is um, Satellogic's de facto uh, headquarters. But uh, Satellogic has a, uh, I think, a far more deeper and interesting uh, corporate history than than most companies. Uh, we were founded by two Argentine uh, entrepreneurs um, uh, from Buenos Aires who had this great idea back in 2010 after a successful uh, exit from their cybersecurity company. Um, they had this great idea of why don't we, you know, we've tackled cyberspace. How about like, you know, deep space now? And uh, they came up with this notion of can we make a satellite, a small satellite as cost effective as possible uh, to be able to remap the world uh, on a daily, on a daily basis for uh, very little cost. And that's what they set out to do. They spent time working uh, with NASA out in, uh, out in Silicon Valley, um, and they spend time uh, here in Europe investigating uh, various methodologies and ways in which to, um, you know, best manufacture um, and build components uh, for a what turns out to be now uh, a roughly 40 kilo um, size satellite, about the size of a, a small beer refrigerator, um, except we can launch this into space and it takes, you know, some of the best images uh, and provides the best data for uh, our customers around the world. So uh, we've been around for 10 years. Uh, we have launched uh, 34 satellites to date, uh, 26 of which are live and operational and serving customers across uh, governments, friendly foreign governments, I should mention. So you think the US, NATO, uh, United Kingdom and whatnot, uh, and large commercial enterprises uh, as well too. So uh, industries across insurance, and industrial, and energy. And then, you know, company was designed and built, uh, you know, for good and to democratize access to Earth observation data. So we also serve a, a variety of noble missions around climate change, um, supporting uh, organizations fighting uh, human trafficking uh, and modern day slavery. So it's um, it's a gratifying and exciting company to work for and public back in January. So it's been a it's been a busy year for us, Melanie. I'm just blown away with that information. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I need to put a Superman cloak on Satellogic. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, um, it's a kind of company that you're, you just kind of wake up every day and, you know, as a relative new guy, about 18 months in, like you're just, you're just kind of very fortunate to work here amongst, you know, literal rocket scientists and astrophysicists, which, you know, is pretty amazing. Uh, and I can think of nothing cooler to do, you know, here in my, my early 40s, being able to say that I work for a company that puts, you know, beautifully designed um, technology into space to better humanity. I mean, what, what better mission and vision could there be? 
See, there, here are two people having a nice conversation who both really love their jobs. I mean, seriously, this can't get any better. <laughs> no. Absolutely. So on a serious note, Matthew, um, the the transformation that Satologic has uh, has actually seen over the last, especially the last five years, has been quite noted, hasn't it? Um, so what new technologies have you been able to bring out um, that has made such a difference to how we're researching climate change right now? Yeah, it, it's a great it's a great question. And I I think it's more uh, it's more down to the fundamentals of, of how we uh, of how we arrive at building a satellite and how we arrive at that final product. And there, there's a couple of things to take into consideration. Um, the first is the only way that you can. If you start with the basic hypothesis that the only way that we can truly tackle climate change um, is by having a daily living, breathing, understanding and picture of the earth um, at as granular detail as possible. If you start with that notion and work your way back, you need to have a, uh, a complete picture provided by um, a fleet of satellites, um, Earth observation satellites that we are building. Um, so I think it's incredibly important uh, to note that, you know, we've kind of cracked that code. We are building uh, satellites that are uh, 10 times more cost effective than our nearest competitor um, at high resolution, which means that we can put more of these things up in orbit than any of our competitors combined. And we have more capacity and higher quality data than our competitors. So if you factor all those things in, of course, we are going to be able to capture the effects of the planet at a really super fine level, which means coastal erosion, which means looking at greenhouse gas emissions, which means uh, tracking things that are, um, you know, maybe not directly correlated to climate change, but looking at the growth density of population centers um, and things that are damaging or potentially harmful to our environment. We have mining companies that approach us um, that have, you know, far-flung out mining outposts in the middle of nowhere, where it's very costly to put a human on the ground to do observational um, uh, ground truth of a tailings dam to say, is that tailings, tailings dam going to leak and downstream impact a, a village, you know, 100 kilometers away? We can do that from space and monitor that facility, you know, five, six, seven times a day with our current constellation. When we have 60 satellites up in, you know, the next 18 months, we're going to be able to do that double the amount. And when we have 200 satellites up, it's going to be revisited nearly every hour. So it's, it's remarkable. Going back to the original you know, point of your question, what have we done? I think it's more of the, a matter of how we have focused on, I, I think, the most important piece, you know, the really, I think, unsexy piece, you know, getting our supply chain right, building a satellite that is durable, that can be easily replaced. Um, I think that's the most important piece. No, I agree. And I, I have to say, as I've been hearing your answer, um, it's made me start thinking, who exactly is going to be using your data? And how do they access this data? Um, could you explain both of those? Yeah, absolutely. So historically, the... Uh, the greatest consumers of Earth observation data um, have been governments, right? Primarily defense and intelligence uh, partners. And 
case today. So, you know, you look at organizations, you look at what's going on in Ukraine right now, uh, they have an insatiable need for uh, high quality data. And they get this from a few different areas. This from their own uh, exquisites. Um, and then they also get this from the new space companies like Satellogic, which build and manufacture this for commercial purposes. And they just either purchase data as a service or lease time on the satellite to be able to, um, you know, get the data and information that they, that they need. So governments have been your historical uh, customers for defensive intelligence, agricultural monitoring, and all sorts of use cases along those lines. Um, recently, we've seen um, other industries uh, pick up, um, you know, pick up the idea that, you know, they can use Earth observation data for everything, as I mentioned before, from monitoring far-flung industrial sites um, to looking at crop yields, uh, to looking at supply chains and monitoring ports, um, you know, to see wait times uh, for uh, for route forecasting. So the 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 use cases are uh, we're we're scratching the surface. Right? We are. You know, to use, you know, American baseball, you know, parlance on the Irish tech news podcast, I'm sure I'm violating a rule here. You know, we're probably only in the, we're probably only in the first inning right now, uh, which is really exciting. And in the exciting, the even more exciting part, you know, for Satellogic is the fact that not only do we have a cost advantage, not only is our data recognized as the highest quality Earth observation data from space, um, but we have more capacity than our competitors combined. So that means we have more data to put out there to the market and we make it easily accessible. So historically buying satellite imaging imagery Melanie has been trying and a difficult thing to do. And we're we're making that easy now. And we do that through um, easy APIs. So the ability to hook into our um, our data catalog and pull the um, the Earth observation data from us that you need into your own platform so you can run analytics and machine learning um, on that data. And that's that's what we're striving to do, just make it more accessible to more users um, at the most cost-effective rate. Now, I've been bigging you up all this time. <laughs> I, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here. I hope you don't mind, but um, all these wonderful plans, all this grand feedback and information but all i can think of is astronomers are going to be even more frustrated with something else flying over their heads and even more space debris sure look and and absolutely i'm you know i, I like to be bigged up but devil's advocacy you probably wouldn't be a proper journalist <laughs> um, no quite honest, i think it's a i think it's a legitimate uh, it's a legitimate concern and, you know, something that, you know, again, we build into our manufacturing process. So our satellites, their lifespan is, call it, you know, maybe four to five years. And our satellites are so light and they are designed to leave enough fuel in them so we can deorbit them. And they naturally, they naturally come down through the atmosphere and they burn up in the atmosphere, right. and, you know, turn into specks of dust. But in terms of having a, to your point, having a constellation of 200 satellites uh, in orbit and all the other satellite companies out there serving, you know, uh, you know, Elon Musk, Starlink serving, you know, thousands of satellites serving internet all around the world, a noble and necessary mission. But, but here's the thing, though. there's a, it sounds kind of trite, but there's a lot of space 
in space. Um, so, you know, I, I think the, I, I don't think it's a concern that's overblown. I think we're not at that point yet. And I'm sure there's going to come a point as well to where there's going to be far more international agreement and cooperation as to, um, you know, uh, what can be launched and who can launch in low Earth orbit. And there's going to be, and we haven't even seen the advent of very low some companies are now looking at putting satellites even um you know even lower in orbit than uh, than ours are. so I, I think there's there's a lot of debate to come but we're we're in no we're in no risk uh at all of uh of taking up uh astronomers view of uh, of the galaxies yeah the other concern i have i mean obviously we've overcome a lot of these visual issues because we now got the james webb telescopes and that's sitting off in t1 doing its best and it's doing an amazing job i've got to say um but is it going to be safe to send up manned space missions with all these little tiny five-year self-deorbiting i mean i mean you're uh, we're not the only country okay you're not the only country lots of countries are putting stuff up in space um and all it takes is a very small amount to to damage a rocket or i mean the iss i know it's not up there for much longer but it's still up there for another while um and so you know as as uh, i told you i was gonna play devil's advocate i'm gonna do it completely (laughs) um but you know i want to improve technology and have sustainability and have better accurate records as well but does all of it have to be done in such low orbit well i i think it and look i i think i love the questions that you're asking because i think they are legitimately what my family my friends and others that don't spend a lot of time in our space you know what they, how they view what we do, and I and how they view the new space economy, and I think that's, I think it's incredibly important to discuss. So let me let me turn it around. I'll, I'll just say that I think the I think the efforts to colonize Mars, to further explore deep space, and further to explore alternate avenues for humanity um, on other planets, um, and alter, and alternate ways to. Um, to better our planet while doing things like space, like manufacturing in space and bringing those critical components back down to earth, which some companies are working on now. Those are all incredibly important. What I like about our industry and our competitors as well, too, is the fact that we are tackling the most pressing problems of um, resource distribution, scarcity, um, and frankly, right now, uh, war and um, famine. We are tackling these things right now to help better humanity. And I can think of nothing more important uh, to make the lives of, you know, our fellow, you know, citizens around the world better. Um, does that mean that there is zero risk to uh, manned missions and, uh, and other efforts? Um, no, there's, I, I, there's always risk. But again, I think there's, there's such deep coordination among SpaceX and other launch uh, providers uh, to where um, it, uh, I don't think it registers probably very high on the on the top of a lot of uh, uh, risk calculations at this time. In ten years, we could maybe have a very different conversation. Perhaps, yeah, I can imagine. On, <laughs> depending on the proliferation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to drop that ball now. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I like it. Now, 
there's one thing I've noticed um, that's happening more, certainly here in Europe. Um, I couldn't speak for the States, but certainly here in Europe, there are a lot more courses about climate change and climate activism. Would any of your data be um, available to, to people to help train the, the next generation of activists? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, we partner with academic institutions and not-for-profits that are, um, you know, maybe to put it politely, less um, less uh, budgetarily, <laughs> less budgetarily well-off than national yeah. governments, right? So, yeah, I mean, look, we we think this is important. Uh, it's an important, um, you know, part of what we do and, and why we, um, you know, why we're a, a going concern, right? I mean, we are a, a publicly listed company that needs to, you know, report you know, quarterly uh, financials, but we also have, uh, you know, the the need and the desire to give back to the broader academic community. So we're also part of the International um, uh, Disaster Charter, which is a, a voluntary organization. We pledge our data um, in the event of a natural disaster, right? So maybe that's not, uh, that could be climate induced, right? So you, you think of, you know, climate impacts around wildfires and around uh, landslides and whatnot. Um, we provide data um, as do many others, to support um, rescue efforts um, and whatnot as well, too. So I, I think it's incredibly important to make, uh, you know, our, our, our archival data that we've collected, but also, um, you know, near real time at the rate of collection, task data, you know, to support um, humanitarian and climate-related um, emergencies. Okay, so we know what you've been up to. So what is going to be coming up that you need to tell us about, Matt? This is your opportunity to shout out to the world what's coming and and tell us, you know, what we need to be ready for. I, I think I appreciate the question. I, I think the the thing that everyone should be really excited about is, as I mentioned before, this industry is just in its infancy right now. You know, we have, you know, if you can believe this, we have at, with 26 satellites collecting um, sub-meter resolution um, every day uh, at the high cadence that we do. We have the largest high-resolution constellation, commercial constellation in the world with just 26 satellites. So th there's a lot more to be done. Um, and although we have a lot of capacity that we can serve a multitude of customers with, you know, we have, we have not yet begun to serve uh, what we believe is going to be the largest market. Right now, as we mentioned before, the U.S. U.S. government and other governments, you know, they tend to make up, I would say, about 80 percent of the addressable market right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our our thesis is by 2025, 2026, um, with the proliferation of our satellites at high resolution at the revisit and being able to deliver this data at near zero marginal cost, um, we are going to be able to spawn industries um, that we haven't thought of that will use this data across multiple verticals to be able to serve uh, a variety of use cases. So that to me is the exciting thing is that we have not even, um, we have not even ventured out into uh, uh, on that path yet. And, and we're just starting. So for us, um, you know, back in, uh, back in the spring, we launched our first Mark five, uh, our Mark five satellite. Um, so we have one in orbit right now. The Mark five has 70 centimeter resolution native off of the satellite. It has more, uh, higher onboard compute power, um, you know, and uh, more, um, you know, the ability to process and develop imagery on board uh, more so than our previous version. And that's those types of enhancements are only going to continue um, over the next uh, over the next few years. 
we've also opened up a, a high throughput plant in Rotterdam as well too in the Netherlands, uh, which is going to be able to churn out more than a hundred satellites, uh, more than a hundred satellites a year. So we're really excited about that. And then finally, I'll I'll just say too that you know our Aleph uh, tasking platform is going to allow anyone. So Melanie, you could log on to our left tasking platform uh, in the Ooh. next couple of quarters. Exactly. And you could take a picture of your hometown. You could take a. Can uh, I? Really? Image. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is the idea is to be able to allow anyone to to task a satellite and get an image delivered for what they need. Now, we're not going to build we're not going to build a, a business off of, you know, a bunch of Melanie's tasking their hometowns. <laughs> but what we are going to be able to do is we're going to be able to hook into entrepreneurs who are, let's say, working in the insurance industry on very niche use cases to be able to develop specific analytical use cases powered by our data. And and that's what we're excited to support because I, I think this is good for, it's good for the planet, but I also think this is going to be good for the economy because I, I think this is going to grow the ability and the capacity of especially, you know, we look at exciting frontier and emerging markets in Africa and Southeast Asia, very talented engineers and application mm -hmm. developers that are going to be able to use our data for a very low cost and build really exciting businesses and industries. So, you know, not to get all, you know, preachy and high and mighty, but I, I think it's incredibly exciting at what we're going to be able to, you know, propel in the future. Okay. Well, I, I will admit I got a little overexcited at the thought of being able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. We look forward to having you sign up. We'll make sure we get you a, a test license. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm game. I'll definitely give it a go. Um, Love it. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us today. I know we've got a lot of things going on at the moment personally, um, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and and to sort of pin you down, ask you some, some important questions, because I know that our listeners do ask these questions because I get them myself from them, um, and you were able to respond you know, very effectively. So that's all we have time for for now. Um, say goodbye, Matthew. Goodbye, Melanie. It was a pleasure. And thank you for uh, inviting me. And uh, yeah, and lovely to be able to speak to you and your listeners. Thank you. And that's all for me for now as well. So speak very soon on my next podcast.